Hello, and welcome to Hard Fried History, a hybrid history and comedy podcast run by two aspiring entertainers. Podcast is more of a rant, really. That have failed at almost everything else. I don't fail because I don't try, so there. We appreciate you checking us out, and if you want to see extra content, follow us on Instagram or give us a like on Facebook at Hard Fried History. Subscribe to us on YouTube or tell us we're full of shit on Twitter at, at HFH Podcast. Feel like going that extra mile? Give us a five-star rating on iTunes or wherever you're listening and leave us a a flattering a glowing review and of course tell your friends family and even people you don't like about us that's right again thank you for listening and without further ado the episode Everybody, welcome back to another episode of Hard Fried History. Today, we are looking at the 80th, seeing as it is the 80th anniversary of the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor. We thought we had the research. We would go ahead and do as as deep a dive as could be done in a in an under an hour podcast episode format. And we are joined not only by by Joshua Stokes, of course, but none other than. Tim Williams. Tim Williams. How the hell Hello. are you, man? What's going I'm on? Okay. Yeah, not too much, man. Thank y'all for having me. Of course. Longtime listener, first time participator. Right on, man. No, we're happy. We're happy to have you. What do you what do you know about Pearl Harbor? Uh, just what they teach you in school and what Ben Affleck and Josh Hartnett so successfully emoted to me on the big screen. Were they in? I haven't seen the movie. I'm sorry. You haven't seen the movie? Oh, oh. yeah. No, yeah, it's a. Well, uh... <laughs> wow. you didn't watch it in terms of research for this podcast? No, man. I, I, I read the shit. The most, I read this shit. Accurate, I read other shit. That's what I did for preparation. Pearl Harbor is the Ben Affleck movie. Well, <laughs> wow. Yeah. Honestly, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch it as pretty much as soon as we're done on this call because I have more shit that I have to do. And uh, I need something to watch, man. I need something to watch that's not going to just fucking piss me off. You know what I mean? That's my problem. You get a you get a young pre-rust set murder Alec Baldwin as Henry Doolittle in at the end. That's a I would nice one. Yeah, I'm down. I'm down for whatever, man. Are we uh, are we defining Alec Baldwin by pre pre him shooting and post him shooting a lady? Oh yeah, definitely. That's what we're doing. The world is cold. The world is cold. Yeah, it's pretty savage. So not gonna lie, that's pretty. Can we say that? Is that out? Anyway, I don't know. No, that's a, no, that's a, no, that's a thing. There's all the comments are doing jokes about it. <laughs> yeah. So the first attack that actually takes place, you know, obviously Pearl Harbor is the thing that gets the U.S. involved in World War II, uh, but it was not the first time the Japanese had attacked the U.S outright it was the first time on like quote unquote uh 
U.S. soil, if you want to think of Oahu as U.S. soil, which, eh, you know, that's questionable. But I mean, December- it, it is at this. I mean, at this time, it's U.S. territory. Yeah, it's been incorporated. But I mean, you know, yeah. you can make that deeper argument of like there's still there's still issues. Right. Like the, the I mean, indigenous population of Hawaii is is very upset. And yeah, yeah. I mean, yes, of course. Right. Yeah, of course. But I, I think by now they're just like. Because there's that whole argument of these people. Well, look, we'll get into it later. Never mind. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> December 12th of 1937, the USS Panay is bombed in the Yangtze River in China by the Japanese Navy. The Panay was there protecting standard oil tankers. And like some might have know, standard oil in the 30s was killing it. Like they were, I'm pretty sure they were the ones exporting oil to. Uh, Franco and whatnot during the Spanish Civil War, and they're also over in China, so they don't give a fuck, man. They're just they're just there for a good time, you know. Yeah, man, just trying to get that oil money. That's, That's right. Uh, That's yeah. even after all the trust busting and stuff. Yep. Yeah, this is this can't is get this one. You know, too strong. Of a state. That's 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 just the Ohio branch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was a very good year for them. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this this the bombing of the Panay it wasn't until about like February of 38 that it starts to make a front page in US papers uh, featured right alongside of like the rape of Nanking which I really like because you've got like you know USS Panay bombed three Americans dead and also rape of Nanking also thousands of Chinese but who gives a shit right I mean, I mean, dead man. We were all waiting to see how you're gonna <laughs> fold that one out. We didn't know how that was gonna turn out. We just started out. Well, oh, the one thing I do, one thing I do like is the rape of Nan One like, thing I do like is going, the rape of Nan Always, always been a fan. Uh, yeah, no. You, and and you and you landed it, but it was like a weird, shaky landing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we think what I'm all about, man. Subliminal things that you else you want to say <laughs> about Nan King. I don't know. That's right. In May of 1938, the Japanese Naval Air Force begins the indiscriminate bombing of Chongqing as part of their advance into China. And then in July, the U.S. government embargoes the exportation of oil plane parts to Japan as a result. And things kind of like cool for a while. I don't want to say they stagnate, but they... I, I, I'm not entirely clear on what happens. I know the Japanese continue to advance and the U.S. is still like nominally supporting Chiang Kai-shek. July 26th of 1939. Wait, F- uh, wait we're going to do the... Wait, in, on the History Channel, they were just define that moment as battle lines have formed. Ah, yes. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and then, and then, and then they, so they transition that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he goes in a commercial and I'm yeah. C. Everett Coop and thank yeah. you for watching Battle Lines <laughs> July 26th of 1939 FDR notifies Japan that it w- was not going to renew the US, J- uh, US Japan Treaty of Commerce and Navigation it was set to expire in five months being uh, January of 1940 then in August of 1939 Emperor Hirohito expresses concern to his chief aide-de-camp, Hata Shunroku, about the sanctions, particularly oil and scrap metal, because they're, they're I don't want to say tied down in China. That's like a word that has been tossed around that they're just, 
they're unable to to close this war and that's one of the things that emperor hirohito was like leaning on his generals and leaning on his admirals to do is to like just to you know to be able to advance in somewhere other than china to stop all of the fighting in china and just assert japanese domination over the area and now that they don't have that oil coming in and that scrap metal and you know air, uh, airplane parts as well he's like what what can we realistically do here? Can we get around this? He, he's starting to to fish for 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 answers or for options rather. Yeah. Right, right, and that had been building like just like big, like thirty thousand foot view, ever since the early nineteen hundreds after the Japanese be beat Russia. Yeah, they had yeah. been kind of itching towards that supremacy or equality with the U.S. and British navies, right? Yeah, there's some really uh cool quotes i don't remember who did it i wish i had written it down but it was something from one of the the admirals that he was talking about i think the washington naval conference or something and he said like uh the you know the the western powers taught us the rules of the game of poker and then uh stood up from the table and flipped the table over and declared the game immoral and walked out as a response to like japan doing what the West had done previously and was like, Oh, okay. So it's, it's really just a matter of it's okay when you do it, but not when we do it. So. In It's also just interesting that he, it seems that it's always just about resources. Mm -hmm. It's mm -hmm. never about anything other than resources in the, the hunt, <laughs> the control yeah. of materials. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Militaries are just the, uh, the muscle to, to make sure you can get the bag. Right. Yeah. yeah 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 in october of 1939 fdr orders the u.s fleet to pearl harbor in order to provide support for the dutch uh, french and english colonies in southeast asia jumping ahead a little bit more in june of 1940 japan enters french indochina aka vietnam uh, there's like frequent cabinet dissolutions i think throughout Hirohito's tenure, although I know they get really bad after 1936 because there's like an attempted coup. Uh, and he has these things, these other things by which he can keep a very close eye on the military affairs and strategy of Japan through these things called Gozen Kaigi, which loosely translated is uh, an imperial conference where he basically gets to like name the people in his cabinet and like whatever relevant generals or admirals are around that he wants to meet with uh, a more literal translation i've heard is a conference before the emperor so any sort of of oh he didn't know there's there's a little bit of both because there they you know there's admirals and the people in the cabinet were like manipulating the flow of information to him but to 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 absolve hirohito of all guilt i think is is bullshit and dishonest so to kind of prove that point, um, sometimes the Navy and Army, they would report separately, like the top guys or the most relevant guys would report separately to Hirohito. So he and he alone would have the complete picture uh, and he would like bring up this information that only he had access to in conversations with his cabinet. He would dispatch his own envoys to the front lines in order to make sure that he had the best information. He had he, he had the full picture. Mm. And like, I don't know that much of what's going on in Japan at this time, but one of these documentaries I watched, it said uh, when they invaded Manchuria in 31, 
that they did it in defiance of the government, like the military was kind of operating on their own. Is this yeah. like a Hezbollah type military within a state kind of thing? Or yeah, from what I recall, he kind of had like the the army in particular was gun ho and they were all about like they were already stationed and they were i think it was the the manchurian incident took place without the sanction of the emperor and so there was kind of this like dynamic relationship between the japanese army and the emperor where he's like yeah he's recognizing that the army is agitated and it's going to do what it does and he can like look incompetent and or look like he doesn't have any control over his army and like risk a coup at home, which one was attempted in 36, or he can kind of assert his dominance over the situation and, and start to pretend like this was his idea. But also with like within that imperial tradition of Japan, it could have very easily at any time, you know, if he's the, if he's the emperor, yeah. there's a time where you just got to throw your balls on the table. Right. And be like, That's I'm right. the fucking descendant of the sun God. All right. You do what I say. And I say, <laughs> chill the fuck out. Right. That's what I'm saying. That's, that's kind of my, I think there's a lot that have been done for like the rehabilitation of like the emperor because mm-hmm. they had, the Americans took him as the leader going forward. So a lot of him, a lot of things get thrown off of him. Like, but at the end of the day, like you're the leader. People think you're a god. You can throw this to lose the back of lack of a better phrase. You can throw your balls down on the table and yep. people would respect it. Yep. So in July of 1940, the prime minister Konoye forms his second cabinet and his foreign minister is this guy Matsuoka Yosuke with the army minister being General Tojo Hideki. And in an interview with an American journalist, Foreign Minister Matsuoka says, he just says it outright. They're feeling good. You know, he says he's like, we think totalitarianism is going to triumph over democracy. This is it, man. This is the way of the future. This is this is what we're doing now. This is what the human race has decided upon. And we're throwing our we're throwing we're throwing ourselves in in, a, in the corner. Right. Mm. Shortly after this, the in August of 1940, the U.S. is now able to read Japanese, uh, I think, like wire transfers and documents through the magic decoder. So any any official cable sent in Japan after August of 1940 can be intercepted and, and decoded by the magic decoder. Same month. August 30th, uh, Vichy France allows ja- uh, Japanese military facilities in Indochina. Um, the Japanese cabinet itself claims that they're occupying northern Indochina to open up another front against Chiang Kai-shek and encircle him. And in response to this, the U.S. not happy about it. They respond with a scrap metal and aviation gasoline embargo against Japan and thus increase also increase their support for Chiang Kai-shek. Japan pushes for the Dutch to sell them like five times as much oil and start eyeing their territories because it's like, what if the Dutch don't comply? Should we just outright gobble up these territories and extract our own oil? Seeing as we're, we're, they're still getting oil, but not aviation gasoline. And I think it's kind of an interesting through line that like FDR and the, I presumably the people in his cabinet have their eyes on, their their air force in particular because they embargo aviation gas gasoline and like airplane parts and whatnot that's a 
that's a bold move with the, the Japanese going after the Dutch. Like, hey, man, can you sell us like five times as much oil? Yeah. Also, man, it's looking it's looking pretty nice over there. Yeah. It's like you sell yeah. something on Craigslist and the person mm-hmm. comes over and they're just looking at the rest of your house. Like, it's a mm-hmm. nice couch, too. I mean, I'm, I mean, honestly, they don't really care because they're, I mean, Vichy France is, you know, that's just German France. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the Dutch, the Dutch at this time, that's just Dutch. That's just Nazi Netherlands. So they can be like, yeah, give it or we'll take it. We can do we it. Can. Yeah. It's kind of like if, if I went to my, if I went to my weed dealer and I was like, hey, uh, you know, I, I know I usually buy a, buy a quarter. I'm going to need an ounce. I'm going to need an, I'm going to need, I'm going to need an ounce this time right also and, and where do you me. sell who are your clients right this yeah, is uh this is how every every 1970s drug dealing movie starts like oh he's about to, they're about to rob you dude mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. here so, it comes johnny, you know yeah johnny's only bought a quarter now he's buying pounds he doesn't do that he doesn't what what does he need a pound for you know is, yeah. Yeah. yeah there's another thing going on with thailand that i knew nothing about it's similar to you know we were talking about uh pakistan and afghanistan in our more recent episodes thailand during world war ii is making territorial claims against cambodia and so japan is considering uh allying themselves with thailand because the british are also there uh as so long as they recognize japanese uh, supremacy so there's yeah. there's some uh there's some wheeling and dealing going on yeah mm-hmm. You even see, like, uh, we talk about Ho Chi Minh, like, some of the, like, one of the things that he fought when he was kind of, like, when they were doing the revolution or kind of fighting the Japanese, there are certain people who are revolutionary, uh, who are, like, nationalists against the French. Like, we should just kind of bow to Japanese supremacy. And he's like, yeah, let's mm. not trade out two, two, two masters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Kind of doing it so we can be our own, kind of, like, our own leaders, our own masters. Yeah. November 9th of 1940, there are public celebrations in Japan commemorating the 2600th, the 2600th anniversary of the, excuse me, the founding of the Japanese Empire by Emperor Jimu. And so they're using nationalism in order to mobilize people for the war effort. Public is mobilized, they're told to serve the state and uh, respect Shinto deities in particular, and also, of course, join the war. Get on the front lines. If you don't, if you don't get on the front lines, you don't love the emperor. Also, just a uh, 2600th anniversary, just mm-hmm. to everyone out there trying to celebrate three-month anniversaries. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's my four-month anniversary. Come on now. Ain't got shit. 2,600. 2,600. 2,600 years of, of pure blood descent from emperor jimu okay mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of sun blood okay you got sun blood i don't think you do unleash the power of the sun <laughs> am i, am I right <laughs> i mean everything he did like all the bad stuff i'm guessing that jimu did to get to where he got to kind of worth it for 2600 years of yeah man bloodline rule yeah man. long nice. long lasting brand long standing he did he did what he had to all right but yeah. also well, i don't know I don't know. You know, the murder was worth it for 2,600. 2,600. Yeah. I look at, I look at Jimu and I look at this nation we've built and I'm like, you know what? I'm glad I didn't, I didn't bail out and just end up straight from my testicles mm-hmm. to, through the ages, literally mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. through all and, of, through a lot of ages. 
here we are. Whole gaggle of ages. Whole gaggle of ages. All right. I've seen them all. All right. I've seen them all. That's a whole lot of ages over there, big boss. Harem of ages? Or is that too filthy? Is that, I don't know. Is a holler? A harem. Holler ages. Holler of ages. Holler of ages. That sounds like less than a harem. Harems are full, right? A holler of ages is just like. Three crevice, like a a deep valley, crevice of ages, somewhere where there's a lot of oxycodone, a a couch, couch cushion of ages. I don't know, I don't know where we are right now. (laughs) The April of 1941, this is one of the first opening moves of the negotiation between the Japanese government and the U.S. government. Bishop James E. Walsh and Father James M. Drought submit a private settlement document to Secretary of State Cordell Hull that they negotiated it with two private Japanese citizens in the U.S. I think they were like Christian missionaries, which is how they knew these two, the bishop and the father, uh, this guy Tadeo Ikawa and Colonel Hideo Awakuro. Uh, the latter, Hideo Awakuro in particular, he's an army man close to Tojo Hideki, also founded the Nagano Spy School. So shady dude, to say the least. Hull reads the preliminary negotiating document, finds it mostly unacceptable. Uh, Some of the terms, Japan wouldn't declare war on the U.S. if the U.S. didn't declare war on Germany or try to rob them of the colonies. And, you know, that kind of contradicts FDR's whole Europe first thing that he wants to get in the war and lend lease and all this stuff. Um, The U.S. must stop supporting Chiang Kai-shek and forget about Indochina completely. Um, but Hull, as a result of this, he asks Kichisaburo Nomura, who was the Japanese diplomat in the U.S., if this could be a first draft. And he adds stipulations that even before negotiating, Japan has to recognize the sovereignty of all nations and affirm peace and all that. But those requirements were not translated to Hirohito and his captain. So... This is this is one of those moments where you do see that the people around the emperor are manipulating his inflow of information. Either way, he approves. He you know says yes. We're going. We're going to go forward with negotiations. So this starts the back and forth. In April and May of 1941, Foreign Minister Matsuoka signs on to the USSR non-aggression pact. He comes back from his meeting with like Stalin and Hitler and Mussolini, and he's convinced fully of the strike south strategy because Japan and like their cabinet and whatnot was debating this, this was debating two courses of options. They could strike north and actually because I yeah, I think Hitler must have told Matsuoka that he was going to try to invade the USSR. And despite the fact that they had already signed a treaty and there is like deliberations among Hirohito and his like top dudes about like, do we back Hitler up on this and open another front into the North and try to take out the USSR as well? Or do we strike South and hit Indochina and the Dutch colonies and all, all the oil reserves, you know? Yeah, man, they went oil reserves and they went oil reserves. but I, I, how, how oil rich is Siberia? There's Fairly, oil. right? No, I mean, no, yeah, there, there's oil. I, I don't, I don't know how developed it was at this time. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know anything about that. But I don't either. Yeah, but I mean, also like breaking of treaties. Who cares, man? It's Who gives politics. a shit? You know, it's, it's easy. It's easy to put does. something on paper. Yeah. It's that real politic. It don't mm-hmm. matter. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> Who's the UN? 
what what the AUN actually does a whole lot of stuff, but yeah, they don't okay. do as much as they say they're going to do. That's not. my point, which you should be over ambitious, right? Should you not? You should always bite off more than you can chew. You should, you I know, mean, shoot for the stars. And if you, you, you know, if you fail, you end up amongst the clouds or whatever. I don't know. We only persecute black and brown countries because that's all we can mm-hmm. just the mm-hmm. UN because we can't. Yeah, really that's do all we can really do. Because <laughs> if we do, because can we call war criminals in bigger countries? That'd be wild. Yeah, we, yeah. Because <laughs> they fund us, so we can't yeah, we can't that. can't so, do that. Boom. Can't do that. You know. <laughs> so it kind of acts as the arm of kind of you know the IMF, and, you know. But that's a whole different thing. Yeah, but IMF, they do a lot of good yeah, stuff man. also. <laughs> 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 It would just be in poor taste to go after someone whose name's on the building of the place we're having conferences in. Can't That's right. That. That's right. We can't do it, man. These are really going to make it awkward. Mm-hmm. That's what we're all here to avoid. You see, awkward you see, you see, I'm all about, I'm all about, I'm all about sustainability and, uh, and alleviating humanitarian crises, crises throughout the world and alleviating famine, securing water access for all and making sure that these developing nations are not subject, subject to the predatory uh, economic development conditions set forth by the more developed nations. But I him? also love <laughs> hors d'oeuvres. <laughs> okay come on these hors d'oeuvres are fantastic all right i'm like who am i to give these up okay i mean you could have cut that set up a little bit but <laughs> i would love to have josh as a commentator for like olympic skiing or something how's he gonna land this one bird ankles over here going pretty high up there with that aerial twist Ooh. <laughs> man you've been in vancouver too long talking about skiing and shit all right <laughs> And uh, in June of 1940, Matsuoka, the foreign minister, again, he makes himself look pretty crazy by advocating. He's he's all for it. He's like, let's do both. Let's go north and south. Let's hit Russia and French Indochina and and Southeast State. Let's do it all. You know, and the cabinet's kind of like, dude, I don't know if like Hitler and Stalin and Mussolini's crazy rubbed off on you, but that's a little too much like we can't we can't manage that you know it's already china is already pretty big i don't know the last time you looked at a map but it's kind of difficult to to take care of china to settle china right yeah so in june or july of 1940 or june and july of 1941 germany vichy france and japan are negotiating the occupation of french indochina uh internally within the japanese government itself they this is where they finally coined the phrase the greater east asia co-prosperity sphere and then on the 26th of july fdr starts sending troops supplies and bombers to the philippines and freezes japanese assets inside of america appointing general douglas macarthur as commander of the the eastern forces another thing i've heard is that the the use of japanese assets inside of america was the so japan had to appeal basically every time they wanted to use their assets inside of america so to say that he he like froze their assets he did but he like left the door open a little bit the the appeals uh, you know come there might now. be a no but come on now like what grown man in general like yeah you're gonna go, i have to appeal to you to get my money mm-hmm. it's my mm-hmm. fucking like yeah at that point like it's just a pride thing like yeah like, you are, are you gonna to take get... this as well yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. i come to your time like guess you might as well Say, just freeze them, you, freeze them outright. Yeah, it's hard for you to say like, oh, like to your to your people, like, why don't you use that asset? 
Well, because the U.S. said we couldn't. My mom said <laughs> I couldn't. My mom said I couldn't buy the Lego set, so I didn't buy the Lego. You're a grown-ass man. You're a grown-ass man. Buy that Lego set, all right? Where's your wallet at? Show me your wallet. Who's Slap <laughs> your balls on the table, all right? The, the appeals were sent to Undersecretary of State, this guy, Dean Acheson, and he was staunchly against Japan. I've heard it phrases or framed framed this way that it came down on like Dean Acheson's shoulder and he had the final say whether Japan could use their assets or not. And he being against Japan said, no, uh, this is, this is a freeze of their assets. I will not appease these people. And, you know, um, FDR was like busy talking to Churchill and working on like the Europe first strategy. So he deferred in a lot of these regards to the uh, state department. But that's like how they do it is they fucking they'll be like, hey, this is the, there's a path for you to do this thing, get healthcare, do this or the EPA or whatever, put somebody in charge of it. That's, you know, you can go through that person, but that person is staunchly against, you know, using the yeah. EPA against, you know, regulating oil, oil companies or in this, this example, giving the Japanese access to their, their assets. So like it's kind of a, it's a trick. It's like it's open. Yeah. But somebody's going to punch you in the face when you come in the gate. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to come in this gate? <laughs> <laughs> we got carrots, we got sticks. Yeah. That's right, man. And these, that's right. These hungry little rabbits been eating up all these carrots. Mm-hmm. We oh, actually got carrots. All we got sticks. Got a whole forest of sticks. We 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 take the sticks and we when we stick them through the carrots and we yeah. put those on a platter <laughs> and we right. have a little a little waiter come around and serve them to you at the at the at the un also there are budget cuts at the un i don't know <laughs> if you know our main supplier pulled out yeah just the sticks july 28th uh of 1941 negotiations are concluded with vichy france uh, japan occupies southern indochina with a force of about 185,000. very next day 29th the u.s embargoes oil to Japan. And to give you an idea, Japan got 80% of their petroleum from the US. So it's not looking great, right? There's kind of this like dual track where it's like, okay, if the US, first, they're not selling us aviation gasoline. Now they're just not selling us petroleum. Generally, uh, we have to advance south in order to maintain the occupation of China in order to keep our army going. But the whole stipulate like why the US is putting these sanctions on us in the first place is because we're advancing south so it's kind of a catch-22 if i'm thinking if i'm thinking back to the saudi arabia episode that we did the big oil companies at this time are of course going to be your, your kind of standard oil which breaks into a million things like chevron exxon um but then you know there's going to be the royal dutch company which is which turns into shell when they yeah. kind of Combined with like a British company, I'm pretty sure, or I don't know, real Dutch company. I don't know. And then there's going to be BP. Mm-hmm. And then everything else, like, is mm-hmm. kind of like lesser than that. And then you have this massive part of the Royal Dutch company sitting right south of, you know, it seems like those reserves, like, that would be the most easy thing to do. It just yeah. makes a lot of sense to attack them. Yeah. So in late July, uh, to kind of prove war guilt as well. The emperor is calling a lot of Gozen Kaigis. He wants guarantees that the that Japan generally can win against the U.S. and, and Great Britain. And he's debating, should we strike north and hit Russia? Or should we go south? 
What about British troops in Thailand? Is a negotiated settlement even possible with the U.S. at this point? What are our options? They end up shelving their plans to attack the USSR. But there are there is like at a time, uh, same time, late July. There's just fears that the army is going to do do it anyway. Like Tim was talking about with the Manchurian incident and just like, you know, there's like 9000 dudes up there who could just be feeling feeling hot, you know, feeling hot and ready. Prime Prime Minister Konoye, he's against the war with the U.S. and the, his opinion is shared by other officers around Hirohito, but not all. Again, like we talked about, the oil embargo is forcing Japan into Southeast Asia just merely to maintain their occupation of China. In August, uh, Nomura, the U.S. The Japanese diplomat in the U.S. and FDR, they actually meet a few times in order to hammer out the details of a potential summit. Nomura suggests they meet in Juneau, Alaska at one point, which uh, does not does not happen. Any of you any any of you either been to Juneau, Alaska? No, no, I have not. I've been to Alaska. Uh, No, but I know I know that a bunch of brave servicemen served (laughs) served at Juneau. Juneau. Really? Isn't it Juneau, Alaska? No, that's the Aleutian Islands. Oh, yeah. the Aleutians, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. The Aleutian Islands, yeah. Yeah, Juneau's the capital of Alaska. I oh, that's think. the capital. I thought it was Anchorage. You know, I think you're right. As a matter of, I yeah, it's that geography B champion coming in, man. Isn't Juneau the 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 name of the girl in that movie? Yes. And there's some reference to Juno, uh, like Alaska, and like why she's named Juno. No, I think it's. I think that's like a Greek. I think Juno's like Greek or Roman. I think it's a specifically Roman for like a Greek god. Yeah, it is of fertility, presumably. I thought she was like, yeah, I'm from like like. There's some reference to Juno, Alaska. Maybe it's been a while since I've watched. Maybe it's like a. Maybe it's the name thing because she spells it with a O. And they spell it this goofy French way, you know? Yeah. So I don't know. I love how Tim is, Tim is like, yo, this, where is this podcast even going? In my head, I'm just imagining someone who's like, really like, oh, man, I'm looking for a deep dive into Pearl Harbor. And I, and I love that movie, Juno. <laughs> and they're like, mm-hmm. hot damn. They disappointed me on both accounts. <laughs> 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 You see, I thought I knew what I wanted, and turns out I have no idea, right? Yeah, turns out I don't want either of these things. I'm not done by these people. <laughs> Hell no. <laughs> and just to add just some context, uh, so at the same time all this is happening in the U.S., they keep passing, like, neutrality acts and stuff. They're not and stuff. They keep passing the neutrality act where we're, we're isolationists. We don't want any problems. We don't want no problems. We don't know want no problems, all right? Leave us be. Build up your navy uh, over there. We don't see it. I mean, what what ethnicity accent are you doing? Uh, it's just my guy who's uh, just came into my head. He's uh, he's a put upon uh, maybe guy Polish Lithuanian descent. He's owned a uh, butcher shop in uh, somewhere in Pennsylvania for a bit, and he knows a fair bit about geopolitical struggles. Okay, maybe by way of Chicago. I don't know. I don't know. You figure it out. That sounds that does sound like Pittsburgh. <laughs> that does sound like Pittsburgh a lot. Sounds like Steel City. That's what that sounds like. That's pretty good. Sounds like, sound like a hefty sandwich. Hella hoagies. <laughs> this man knows his way around a hoagie. All right. And I know when someone wants some scrap metal for some nefarious purposes, I will say that. Okay. So I say we cut okay. that out. Right on, man. Right on. 
you see, this is where I would impersonate a Japanese businessman in order. This is where I would impersonate a Japanese businessman 10 years ago to, <laughs> to complete this bit. But uh, you better alas, be giving you know? someone a summary of Die Hard, man. You better not go out on that limb. It's awful shaky. Uh, no, not going to not do it. Not touching that one. Not touching it. All right. There is a split cabinet. FDR has a split cabinet. Um, uh, some people in his cabinet are comparing negotiating with Japan to the same thing that Chamberlain did with Munich and the Munich agreement and everything that this is appeasement. And then other people in his cabinet are saying, no, we've got this whole Europe first strategy. This is our chance to unleash the, the full might of our uh, army and Navy in Europe and take care of Hitler real quick. And then maybe, you know, we can just, we can just double back and then take care of Japan. Why, why fight a two front war if we don't have to? Also, we kind of already made some agreements and arrangements with Chiang Kai-shek. We're, why would we turn our back on our ally? And so there is debate in his cabinet. Hull in particular thought that the State Department should conduct preliminary negotiations with Prime Minister Konoye and Japan. And then once concluded satisfactorily, Konoye and Japan would get their summit with FDR, uh, Japan kind of wants it the other way around. They want to have a summit. They want to go right to FDR to negotiate. And it's like, listen, this is a busy man. Okay. You don't carrot and stick, right? No, I mean, it's, it's the, it's the, uh, let's, let's make this obstacle course longer. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, I got it. Well, you can't even meet them if we don't get that. So. I don't know. It's pretty, that's pretty, that's pretty reasonable to me. Like if you're going to demand FDR's time, but also it could be more like fuel on the fire of an inferiority, inferiority complex of like, Oh, you don't take us seriously. You don't take us seriously to meet with your president, but you know, FDR's off all like playing war games with, with Churchill all the time. He doesn't have time for Konye. Yeah. We're about to have a war. You can't meet with us. The fuck do you think you are? <laughs> are we about to have a war? I don't know, yeah, man. No, like we're, we're negotiating this thing and we can't even get a meeting. Like that's just a weird. If we're negotiating, we should negotiate. Like he's he's not he's not better than negotiating. <laughs> I yeah, know, I, I don't know. Think, they're they're yeah. There's the, they're setting, the, the obstacle. There. They're just setting a fucking uh, little obstacle. Like eh, you got hurt in this hurdle. Yeah, just a little hurdle before you get to the fucking thing. We touch you. <laughs> just keep on moving the goalposts, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Sip that's what I do on this podcast all the time. That's what we do, man. That's what we're all about. All right. <laughs> September 6th of 1941, there's a Gozen Kaigi affirming the inevitability of war. Konoye is allowed to proceed with his push for negotiations until mid-October. He, Konoye, secretly meets with U.S. ambassador in Japan, this guy Joseph Grew, uh, that very night, September 6th, and tries to convince him of Japan's sincerity of negotiations. And Gru is kind of passing off these overtures to the executive. It doesn't amount to much. Japan just ends up kind of restating their initial position. And then Konoye has a falling out with War Minister Tojo Hideki. Um, Tojo, he's saying that to question the decision of a Gozen Kaigi is to question the emperor himself. This is heresy. Uh, negotiating would be at this point an insult to all of the soldiers who have died in China over the past four years. And then more than that, there's a split in the Navy between those who think Japan can win in a war with the U.S. and cannot win in a war with the U.S. I believe uh, the emperor's brother, 
I think his name's Takamatsu. He's of the opinion, he's in the Navy, high up in the Navy, and he thinks they can't win, along with Yamamoto Isoroku, who wrote the plans for Pearl Harbor. Yeah, yeah. And he, uh, I think he, he studied in the U.S. for a bit, so he was quite familiar yeah. with the uh, industrial capacity. And I think he had some quote where he was like, listen, we got like, if we do this, we have about six months where we can kind of run free and have some fun. But after that, He's like, once they get that economy clicking, it's it's pretty much a done game for us. Yeah. Did you did you catch when he studied in the U.S.? Was it in like the 30s or late 20s or? Uh, I I think it was in the interwar period, but he's okay. he's quite old. Um, yeah. So it, it might have been before the the first world war. But it said he he took um, language classes at Harvard, hmm. um, which seems like a bit overkill. It's like you can learn English anywhere, man. Like, you yeah, you don't need to, you don't have to show off. You know what are you doing? And also, if you're learning language, taking language class, who has time to go around and check out these factories and do this? You know, okay. Yeah, yeah oh, I don't know. Surreptitious sneakery. Okay. I don't know if you've ever. I don't know if you ever took a language class. But that's exactly what you do. <laughs> you just go to you, factories. No, you like go around like like I remember they were like uh, I was when I was like take I take this class in college and they were like oh what we're gonna want you to do is go ride the bus and just listen to people's conversations in that language. Mm-hmm. and like, oh, kind of get a yeah. better sense of like you know how language is supposed to flow and what that conversation is really about and write yeah. that conversation down and you, you end up listening to some some polish lithuanian dude who lives in steel city and eats too many hoagies man hey keep an eye on that rising sun empire there and also by the way i got a couple pierogies here fell off the back of a truck i got a i got a i got a couple pierogies i don't know i don't know if i can do it i don't know if i can pull it off i would just go straight russian or I would just go weird, weird. Hey, I got a couple of pierogies, you know. Okay. This is, nope, <laughs> nope, let's move on. Let's move on. To the it, oh, sometimes we go right. too far. It's about yeah. the you got to speak from the bottom of the mouth. I think is the real. Oh, okay. All right. Never. <laughs> I'm seeing sweating bullets like trying out as a Simpsons voice actor. No, I, I got more characters. I got what, what do you want? What do you want? What do you need from flustered me? voice actor? Yeah, I got uh, me... Henry, Henry, let me, Henry, let me ask you a question. I've got sad drunk. I've <laughs> Henry, uh, Henry, let me ask you a question. I want you to answer honestly. When okay. you do these voices, do you think that it, it gains or loses us listeners? Which one? Hey man, you you you're of the opinion I'm in this for the listeners. All right, come on, man. I'm gonna talk about me. Okay. Boom. Life is short, art is long. That's right. Okay. All right. All right. right been, we solved it. Been, we know. All right. Yep. That was it. October sixteenth. Konoye resigns the result between frictions between him and Tojo Hideki. Tojo himself is made prime minister while retaining the war and home ministry portfolios. Uh, Being home minister gave him control of the military police. So, you know, very powerful guy at this point. And he wants to push negotiations until November 25th. While still preparing for war, he sends Saburo Kurusu, who was stationed in uh, Nazi Germany in Berlin at this time. He, he sends this guy to back up the diplomat they already have, Kichi Soburo Noburo. Yeah, Kichi Soburo Noburo. November 7th of 1941, the uh, Japanese, they submit their first proposal, Proposal A, to the U.S. They demand the stationing of troops in China, 
opening of trade in the area and uh, as a as a incentive, the the pot there, the possibility of their non adherence to the tripartite pact. So maybe Europe first can work. And they set the deadline for that uh, November 30th. Very next day, November 8th, Hirohito is given the Pearl Harbor battle plans, as well as the full war plans for what what he had discussed with his uh, what what the army and navy had discussed they're passing on their full war plans to him uh, for strike south november 20th of 1941 proposal b is submitted uh, japan would only occupy the northern part of indochina after the conclusion of the china war the u.s would drop their sanctions deliver one million tons of aviation gas and help them extract resources from the Dutch East Indies, the deadline for that proposal also being November 30th. That seems kind of like a poison pill offer too. It's like, let's yeah. give them something so heinous that we know they're not going to accept to just kind of stall for time. Yeah, it's like, are you for real? Do you really you really think we're going to go for this one? That's kind of crazy. Yeah. To the point where it's like, like what you said, that they're just like, yeah, we know they're not going to accept this. Well, yeah, it's, it's getting close too. I mean, as yeah. we know, it happens on December 26th. So this is the end of November right yeah. here. And they've already got the plans. They're drafting it up. Yeah. I don't know. None of, none of the books speculated too deeply as to um, whether Japan was acting in good faith. They just kind of mentioned that there was this, there was discussion of this dual track of we're going to, we're going to continue preparing for war while also, trying to pursue diplomacy which i mean yeah no shit like why would you that's that's real politic you know that's every nation on the world does that it's like all right we're gonna it feels like we're going for war and we need to we need to be safe rather than sorry to take it from the macro to the micro it's like yeah we can go to couples therapy but i'm also going to start hitting up the gym so i can look pretty dang good mm, in case mm, you do I go see. through with this yep, split up yep. here that's right that's right i'm gonna prepare myself i'm gonna be ready just in case. I don't want it to come to this, but if it does, I'll be ready. Where are you? Right. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of nasty emotions coming from him. <laughs> you, you can't, <laughs> you, you can't, you can't hit the gym like I can because you work two jobs. Boom. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I only Tim, work half. <laughs> using his girl to move to, to Vancouver. And then leave her so he can become a Vancouver. I don't know what they call hot dads. Well, I don't know what they call a hot dad. <laughs> Did you see the calendar on the wall behind me? The the hot dads of Vancouver. <laughs> no, I mean, I mean, look, I know, I know, I know your plans. I know your, yeah. I know your games, your gimmicks. <laughs> games, and gimmicks. <laughs> games and gimmicks. November twenty second. Uh, 1941 negotiations fall apart. Kurusu, the backup diplomat, sends a telegram, which is deciphered by magic, to Foreign Minister <laughs> Togo Shigenori, saying to proceed with the attack. Although they don't mention which one, so you know we've got we've got troops in Luzon in the Philippines. Mm -hmm. There's the West Coast is entirely open, uh, Aleutian Islands, and Oahu. Who's to say where? All right. And he's, he's, he sets the deadline. If things aren't resolved by the 29th, if we can't get either of these proposals or like concrete promises and negotiations by the 29th, do the shit. 
The 26th of 1941, Secretary of State Cordell Hull gives Nomura and Kurusu his draft proposal for negotiations uh, called for the withdrawal from Indochina and China. He says China, but he leaves it very vague and he leaves a he leaves a door pretty wide open for, you know, the 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 Japanese had already established basically a, a puppet emperor, puppet ruler in what they were calling Manchukuo, which is northwest China. They had already occupied that that province. And so he leaves it open to her, like I'm talking about China. Maybe not. Maybe we can recognize Manchukuo. I don't know, man. But either way when this information is being transferred toward Hirohito, the what is known as the Hall note is spun as like a massive slap in the face, particularly by foreign minister Togo Shiganori. There's there's even a moment where they're talking specifically about Manchukuo and uh, Togo Shiganori's like, no, he means all he doesn't he mean including Manchukuo. And it's like, okay, sure dude. Yeah, I mean there's some there's some serious uh was it cultural differences or yeah. Between yeah, the Manchuko. Isn't that just Manga? This is this is it's it's Manchuria, but it's it's really just like that's also like the part that's like kind of like with Man Mongolia. It's kind of closely aligned or I don't know. I know there was an emperor over that whole yeah part of China that was completely separate from yeah. the Chinese. The kind of a known kind of you know. Yeah, I think it was em- Emperor Yi and he might have been Korean, but I'm not don't quote me on that. I know there's the dude the Chinese emperor uh, that, that the Japanese remove, that dude is is in, involved in a plot uh, with Mao to can, uh, to kidnap Shanghai Shek oh. in like 1930. Yeah, we, yeah, we briefly discussed it in like the the Mao episodes, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So. What and like like ransom him or just like we got we got Shanghai Shek, man. Let me see if I want to do about what this. Their, what their thing was, they were going to. Mao wanted Chiang Kai-shek killed, and I think it was that they're going to ransom so that the, that that prince or whatever could then retake his throne as the ruler of Manchuria. Oh, yeah. And Mao okay. was like, "Yeah, you should kill him. You should kill him. You should kill him. You should kill him." <laughs> Telegram like, "You should kill him. You should kill him." Mao, at least in the book, one of the books I read on this. <laughs> do it, man. Do it. I bet. Bet. Bet you won't. Bet you, no one, bet you oh, won't, man. oh yeah, no, yeah, that's very is very on brand for Mal. Yeah, right on. He is that's his whole vibe. It's very disgusting. <laughs> oh, real real man could do it, you know. I don't think bet you won't. I don't think he can. I don't know if he will. We'll see if I won't, you know. November twenty-seventh of nineteen forty-one, the Japanese fleet finally departs from the Kuril Islands. It leaves behind a smoke screen of communication vessels designed to simulate radio communications. Admiral Harold Stark alerts Admiral Husband E. Kimmel, stationed in Hawaii, and Admiral Thomas C. Hart, stationed in the Philippines, to suspect a Japanese attack. Mm. I wonder, where, does it say where this uh, Harold Stark is located at? How does he get this advanced knowledge here? Magic. Magic. Oh, magic, oh like literally he's magic. getting it by magic, man, you know, pulling it out of his hat. So he's he's getting these decoded messages, and he's like, "You guys aren't seeing this. I'm 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 seeing this." What's now it looks bad, fellas. I don't know if you know. I'm seeing yeah. some shit. I'm reading the tea leaves, and uh, it's not looking good. Yeah, yeah. And isn't they they pick it up on? Uh... Oh, that's later. I won't jump to that yet. Go ahead. Right on. November thirtieth, 
Uh, back in Japan, Prince Takamatsu, again, is the brother of Emperor Hirohito, high up in the Navy. He talks with Hirohito himself, says that, basically says, like, the Navy would really appreciate it if war was with the U.S. was avoided. Like, let's not, let's not do this. And Hirohito, he summons his Navy ministers and chief of staff, uh, Tojo and others. They all convince him, like, it's fine, dude. You're going to be, you're going to be fine, right? And Hirohito then reaffirms the attack. Like, you know, if you're nervous about taking LSD for the first time and you're with some people who, you know, LSD's good. But um, you're with if you're with the wrong people and it's your first time and they're like, hey, you should take three, right? You should take three. You should really just go for it. And you're kind of like, ah, you got your one friend, your one good friend who's like, man, I don't know if you should do three, maybe do one. So you can, you can kind of experience the realm without fully, fully investing in it. Right. Cause you don't want to go insane. And then all of your sketchy friends are like, no, you should do three. It'll be amazing. Right. You'll be fine, bro. It'll be fine. <laughs> and then you take them and, uh, this is something that happened uh, with Henry alone in this room. <laughs> There's nobody there when this when this whole thing went down. <laughs> we all we all we all battle with our demons, and that's perfectly okay. It's, it's, it's this is just me and my my split so, personalities. So, one yeah, of whom is Polish, right? <laughs> yeah, that's fine. I mean, that's just, fine. It, just wake up, not. wake up in a room, Jefferson Airplane blaring. There's mm-hmm. Dutch mm-hmm. oil and. Mm-hmm. Filipinos screaming at you all over That's the right. floor. And I don't know you're, what happened. You're the emperor. You're not wearing clothes anymore. Oh, God. Oh, ooh, ooh. Everybody's seeing my Sunny D blood, right? Oh, it's not a good time. No. Huh. December 3rd, 1941, uh, Special Envoy Terasaki approaches FDR and tells him basically to go over the heads of the foreign minister and the diplomats deliver an immediate overture to delay war directly to Hirohito himself. And FDR, he applauds Terasaki uh, for his bravery. And he sends a <laughs> transmission to Hirohito on December 6th, straight to Ambassador Joseph Gru, who is in Japan. And Gru is supposed to deliver this message immediately. And I think he's like inside of the Imperial Palace and he is rebuffed by foreign minister Togo. He gives him the message. They said that they will give it to him as soon as they can. Obviously, that does not materialize. I read it was in the because there, there are three different sources. We read for other episodes. Um, the M- Emperor Hirohito and the Making of Modern Japan by Herbert P. Bix. Uh, other Hirohito book by Edward Bear, and then the FDR biography by John Edward Smith. I think Herbert P. Bix in particular says that this was, this might've been, he speculates that this might've been a uh, deception tactic. Like Terasaki was perhaps a member of Japanese intelligence. And uh, he, he was like one of the only envoys to the U S not withdrawn after Pearl Harbor. And this might've been a way to like, keep the executive branch scrambling prior to while this while boats were were on course to to make the attack Uh, okay but i don't know but also it's pretty smart (laughs) right right keep them busy in the run-up keep them busy in the run-up man right while you're running down the clock Mm -hmm, mm-hmm mm-hmm 
And then finally, of course, uh, December 7th. So here's what's funny. The uh, magic decodes the, the declaration of war. Uh, Terasaki, or it's not a declaration of war. I'm sorry. Terasaki, Kurusu, and Nomura, they submit. Yeah, it is. Uh, they submit a 14-point declaration of war to Cor- Cordell Hull. Cordell Hull already had it because Magic uh, d- decoded it and it had arrived early, which kind of pissed off the Emperor because it's like, what are you doing? You're fucking up my shit. We were supposed to do this. It was supposed to be pretty obvious that we were declaring war after Pearl Harbor had already been attacked. Now you're basically saying, we declare war while an attack is on its way. And it's just, it's just messy. Right. It's just we want these things to be very clean. We want these things to be very precise. Things are done in a very orderly manner. And you're fucking it up for me, guys. How do you how do you think that played out? Like they they like stormed into his office all self-serious and we're like, we have the and he's just like kicked back with his heels on his ass, like casually leafing through it. And he's like, opposite. Hmm. Yeah. Or he he pops the decoder, the decoded message. Right. Yeah. I like to think that he had a magic ring that he got from a cereal box, you know, that that was the decoder ring. That he that was the magic decoder ring that he had, and he's like popping the the transcript already made, but you see the flash, the flash of the serial ring that he's like, bah, bah. Already uh, yes, the classic Cracker Jack comic book interpretation mm-hmm, of history. Mm-hmm. Yes, That's right, yes. of course. We need to we need to get on this. We need to make this like the Archie comic pixelated style, probably easier to do than ever. And then uh, you know, just crank out the hits. Of course, December 7th, 1941, you have the attack on Pearl Harbor. The reason this occurred, or uh, a big reason why this was possible, the warning was not taken seriously by Admiral Husband Kimmel and General Short, although MacArthur and Hart had put the Philippines on guard. Uh, General John L. DeWitt on the West Coast had, had, you know, rang the alarm and, you know, got everybody buzzing and ready for an attack. General Frank M. Andrews in Panama also sounded the alarm they took hawaii the, the my, it's my contention that the u.s like took hawaii for granted they didn't install anti-torpedo nets because they assumed that no torpedo could successfully penetrate the shallow bay the ships in pearl harbor were stationed in but uh in october of 41 so two months before the attack really like maybe one one and a half maybe just a few weeks like six weeks uh October of 41, Japan had invented what's known as a Type 91 fin torpedo that could work in shallow waters. And so it was like we didn't put up any nets because we didn't know that we that they had this this Type 91 torpedo. If you wanted to prove that, you know, this was an inside job, you would need to there would need to be like an official communication. Within the Japanese you know, government apparatus that is decoded by magic that names these torpedoes that names type that. So the U S would need to know that this attack with this, this attack was enabled by these torpedoes. They would need to have that knowledge and choose not to act on it. If you wanted to prove that. Yeah. Not, not arguing for like inside knowledge, but just from like a, a perspective of them being totally complacent. I think they had like, upwards of five radar installations around Pearl Harbor and multiple of those radar installations picked up the entire, they had like the size of the force coming in, their speed, everything and relayed that to them. And then they just, I think they they made the assumption that it was an American force coming in from the mainland. And we're just like, nah, we don't have to worry about that. 
That's pretty stupid. <laughs> <laughs> There's hundreds of like, yeah, you remember that? No, we talked about those hundreds of yeah, planes was, that were going to be coming yeah, in. Yeah, they were. Yeah, you know. Oh, can we communicate with them? Are they radioing back anything <laughs> yeah. that we're cabling them? No. Oh, that's just standard issue, is it not? <laughs> Dude, we no, talked about it on like the when we talked about you know 9/11 and Pearl Harbor. I'm sorry, 9/11 and in the Osama bin Laden episode that like. Just incompetence, you know, just being caught with your pants or being, yeah, caught with your pants down. I mean, I would, it's particularly for this, uh, it just reminds me of how people, you know, work in corporate America when you're like, uh, all right, dude, are you going to really go to your boss and say that this crazy thing is happening? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, you know how I much that, that takes and like what you're going to actually really need to do. It's much more, it's like you don't want to talk like a crazy person. So you just go and be like, all right. What's the most reasonable thing that this could possibly be? It could be a lot of things, but possibly reason. I'm mean, it was the most reasonable thing, and it's yeah. probably that thing we've seen a couple of birds or some shit. <laughs> it's just I mean? big birds. It's, it's birds. just it's big birds. It's just you know, a flock of fucking birds. Yeah, man. It's just uh, you know, big ass birds. It's a few halcyons. Yeah. A few few storks. Some no, griffins no, no, in there. I don't know where we're know? going with this. No, 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 no. No big deal. No, don't worry no, about it. Just no, your average you're griffin sighting. No big deal. No, no, you're not gonna name all, right. all fucking birds. No, you hit the bird nerve on Josh. No, I know it's coming. I'm actually. These are all mythological birds. I'm not really a traditional ornithologist. I'm a mythical ornithologist. Thank you. He gets three. He gets three. He gets a pattern of three going. He's like, I gotta keep. He loves he loves that he loves this rhetorical trick. I wish I knew there. I wish there knew more mythological birds. There was uh, there were like vulture people in southeast in South South America. We talk about the tengu. There's some tengu, right? There's another. There's four. We got tengu. We know what those are. Another thing about the shallow water that like so the reason they assumed the attack would not occur is because of the shallow water. However, they had the torpedo. But this was like a double-edged sword because uh, the boats, they weren't like out at sea. So they, they couldn't really sink, you know, you can't really sink in two, two feet worth of water. And so you're able to tow the boats in and repair them. Um, total, there were 20 U.S. vessels, approximately 20 U.S. vessels sunk like, you know, across like battleships, destroyers, cruisers. I have a figure that says 300 warplanes, another 159 warplanes crippled, and 2,403 servicemen uh, died. And Admiral Yamamoto Isoroku, the man who engineered the attack, masterminded it, one could say, he's worried because they had sunk, the Japanese had sunk plenty of battleships but they didn't get the aircraft carriers. They also didn't get the oil deposits or the repair yards. So there's a chance the U.S. can rebound from this. And then uh, Admiral Husband Kimmel, the incompetent Admiral Husband Kimmel, he's replaced by a boy, uh, Admiral Chester Chester Nimitz. And I have a, I have a quote. This is FDR said, to tell Nimitz to get the hell out to Pearl and stay there until the war is won. And that's that's what he did, man. He got fucking business done, you know? Mm. I have to say, Chester Nimitz is not my boy. I feel like he kind of took a liberty with that. He's like kind of referencing that's all our boys, and it's not, not my boy. <laughs> okay. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. 
Fair enough. The, the royal boy. I feel like it was like everybody's boy. I don't know. I don't put the, ge- the general, the general boy. Your boy. It's your boy, Chester Nimitz at the helm. You know, he's very grumpy. He would not appreciate this. I assume. Also, yeah, no, I'm just. Yeah, I don't care what Chester Nimitz appreciates. Or then, uh, I got a few sum up ideas I'd like to get into here. Okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. That, yeah. What's up, Tim? Well, uh, I watched the episode of The War, Ken Burns, the first one, mm-hmm. and uh, about this. And he, there's this one uh, throwaway kind of line they had on there that was fascinating to me. And he said, Japan went from feudalism to the modern era in less than a century. Yeah. yeah. And that seems to help explain so much of the, mm-hmm. the daring do, the chivalry aspect of like this, uh, this, this warmongering. It's just crazy to like, like if you've ever played like Sid Meier's Civilization or whatever on a computer and then you make you're like, oh, you're riding horses and then someone just comes into the map you haven't met and they have a tank. It's yeah. like, oh, shit. Like this was a real life example of that. And uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, you, you can argue that for the entire world. I mean, you can argue the U.S. Yeah. Went from feudalism to, to the industrialized world, like in like less than a century. Because 1808 louisiana in comparison to like 1908 new york is like completely different i i, I don't know I, I think this time is you have the you have the, you have the, the feudal age and you have a kind of i don't know the industrial gilded age and then you have like this modern yeah, yeah. age it's a I, don't know. I think they're all going through the same thing it's just fucking i don't know well i don't know because japan's japan was closed for like 200 years yeah, I'm, so I'm like not since arguing. Tokugawa took power, they were like, "We'll give, we'll give you one, we'll give foreigners one island in the south, and that's it. And any other foreign influence, we are not tolerating because we went through too much war, too much war. It took too much to get here. And then you know, 1868 or 1854, these big ass boats just roll up, and it's like, yo, I was like, holy fuck, <laughs> what yeah, are not, those? You know, I'm not arguing that they were they that they weren't that they weren't in a closed off situation i'm just saying like the idea of the feudal like this is the 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 confederate south or the antebellum south is just a feudal society and so the the time from you know it we go from that 1840s to a century later it's fucking you know the dwarring 20s you know you know that's the you know the hottest fucking industrial time i'm saying everybody was feudal that's my thing. Mm. That's your thing. I see. Yeah, everybody was fucking feudal. They all you're all pieces of shit. <laughs> <I don't know>. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know, man. Pearl Harbor is always always kind of interesting and weird. It's just like it's like uh you you can definitely see that the Americans aren't like they're a little bit goading. You know what I mean? Like, uh oh, mm-hmm. fuck up. You don't want to fuck up. I'm gonna take away the world, fuck you up. But like at the same time, like yeah, like it's kind of being raised in in this in this like post nine eleven era when we were like pumped full of like World War Two propaganda yeah. as a way to like propagandize the current the current wars that we're in. Yeah, like it, it was always something that you're like, ah, well they did at Pearl Harbor. It always gets your blood boiling, and you're like, all right. <laughs> yeah. And you're like, oh, that's just because I watched I watched I watched a lot of propaganda when I was twelve about <laughs> about about you know. Not proper. I mean, about Pearl Harbor in, in general, and the travesty. It was a travesty. A lot of people. Yeah. Not saying it wasn't. 
Mm. I don't need old dudes with caps coming on after me. Old dudes with caps and tucked in shirts coming out coming coming up to me at fucking Target. Let me tell you something. Give me a what for? Mm-hmm. <laughs> giving you a what for? <laughs> that was a uh, that was a statistic too that uh, I was reintroduced to. But from the like the the twenty four or the two thousand what was the figure the twenty four hundred Americans that died over a thousand of them were all from the, the USS Arizona. Yeah. Which, which is uh pretty horrific when you think of it. Yeah. It's completely exploded and, yeah. and sunk. The, the, uh, the world, the Pearl Harbor movie, when the, when the boat is sinking and those last, they can't get to them. Oh yeah. That's wrenching. Deciding to drown. Oof. Yeah, wow. Spoilers. All right. I was about to go. Why I'm about to go watch this movie. And yeah, he's gotta man, go and people, tell me what happened. I mean, I guess I already kind of knew. Inappropriate joke of this podcast. How dare you? <laughs> so fucking funny. And it all it. it all happened in under two hours too, which yeah. is also nuts. Yeah, man. It's You're talking crazy. about 9-11. That was that was kind of uh, I mean, when we, we grew up watching it in school, that was kind of similar. It started in the yeah. beginning of the day and then before lunch, it was I mean, then we had the weeks and weeks of, you know, everything afterwards, the, the rubble and all that. But the action itself was pretty, I don't know where I'm going with this, guys. What, 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 what fairly, you fairly swift. wasn't, yeah, it was like yeah. surgical you know always, almost. Isn't that what mm. they always say about com, like with military stuff or com, I hate to say combat. I hate to say combat with the person who's never been in the army. It, it seems like I'm false flagging. All right, mm. stolen valor. <laughs> but, yeah. Uh, no, they always say like when you like those things, those battles, they're only like 30 seconds a minute mm. it's just it's just it's just it feels like a long time because you like, somebody's trying to kill you mm. yeah yeah <laughs> well to also like you said i've never served either but to bring it to the closest experience that i have in my life to that uh american football if you watch an american football game only was it less than like seven percent of the entire time is the actual gameplay yeah. the rest is yeah. sitting around waiting and Eating spam and playing cards. Yeah. Tim Williams, thank you for coming on the podcast. I gotta ask you another question. Who who are you? I'm just a man, just like any of you okay, here right on, right on. on this podcast, listening to this podcast. Okay. Sweet. Concerned man. about the state of affairs in this about world, the world of ours. Right on. I appreciate and, that. Uh, uh, do, you, do you have anything going on? Do you have anywhere people can find you? Uh, no. No, no, no one's gonna find me, man. Okay. No. <laughs> it's just no. the way he likes it. It's just the way he likes it. That's we'll right. It. You're you're in Vancouver. Tim is a fantastic. Tim Williams is a fantastic comic. From, oh, thank you. From thank you. Agreed. Uh, was on the run for a couple of years in Australia. <laughs> now, <laughs> now on the run again in Vancouver. <laughs> uh, Vancouver, British Columbia. That's he keeps right. running from the draft, and we keep trying to tell him there's no draft. Dude. It's all good, man. It's ended. <laughs> it's just keep getting wrong, him, but <laughs> just keep thinking there's a draft. <laughs> it's like Tim, you are thirty. You can't <laughs> <No>. even be <laughs> drafted. <laughs> you would enter as a loot. You went to college, man. What are you worried about? <laughs> yeah, you're fine, dude. Uh, no. Yeah, yeah. The uh, thank you for coming on the podcast. Mm-hmm. Thank you, indeed. Thank y'all uh, for having yourself? me, man. What's your if social I, media so they can follow you? Tim Williams Comedy on Instagram. And please, uh, y'all, y'all I, I love uh, catching y'all's, uh, y'all's podcast and y'all's witty and deprecating uh, interplay. 
It's it's lovely. Thanks, man. Thank you. Keep it um, um, uh, guys, please go follow Tim uh, on social media. You know, please at least ten people so we can show the true might and authority <laughs> that is true weight that we have here. Right, double <laughs> digits. Okay, double digits. Yeah, I just need ten of you. So please do that, guys. Again, guys, you can follow us at Hartford History on Instagram and Facebook, HFH Podcast on Twitter, Hartford History on YouTube. Uh, we're everywhere. You can follow me, Joshua B. Stokes on Instagram right. and Facebook. Joshua Stokes on Joshua B. Stokes on Instagram and Twitter. Joshua Stokes on Facebook. Henry, where can they follow you at? Just follow me, Henry Price on on Amazon. Okay, I'm pushing right. the Amazon. I'm all about <laughs> right. the Amazon. That's nasty vibes. Right That's what, I don't know what you're sending out. <laughs> I, don't you, I, I don't know what you're sending, but I'm not receiving. <laughs> Thank you, guys. That's been hard for history. We'll see you guys next time. All right. <laughs> Bye. 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 Bye.